Broadcasting Politics with the university professor uh, of political science at Hamline University, David Schultz. David, good to have you back on the program, sir. How are you today? It's always my pleasure to be on the show with you, and thanks to the audience. It's a great honor to have you on. Um, Let's talk politics here. I want to start with this. This is breaking news Um, this morning. Florida's congressional map illegally hurt black voters, a judge rules. The second time we've seen this case come before court, Um, but it underscores that the Republicans, uh, interestingly, um, are are getting checked here and there, not as much as many of us would prefer on matters of voting rights, but they've gotten chin-checked, as it were, once again, on drawing these illegal maps that hurt black voters. Your take. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not a fan of the current U.S. Supreme Court, um, which has not been a friend of, 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 let's say, people of color. But we're getting a few victories here and there. And, and what's really becoming clear at this point is, you know, when, when the Republicans and Donald Trump talk about fraud and about stolen elections, they're probably right. They're trying to steal the elections and they're trying to jerry-rig the districts to basically keep um, people of color, black people, from being able to vote. They're basically doing everything they can at this point to try to rig the election in favor of them. And what's happening is occasionally federal judges are stepping in and saying, you know, you've gone a little bit too far in terms of what you're doing. Um, scale it back a little bit. And the reason why I say that, it's not a total repudiation of what they're doing. It's, it's like I feel like the courts are like pushing back on the most obvious stuff of what they're doing. What do you think? Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree. And I'm just grateful that every now and again, as I said a moment ago, um, uh, one of these judges uh, sees the light uh, and makes the right decision. But uh, in Florida and in Alabama, um, a number of places. We've seen these, these maps that have been drawn illegally. I've said many times on this program that gerrymandering is one of the greatest threats, I believe, personally, to our uh, democracy or experiment in democracy. And every now and then, um, a decision uh, is made, I think, in the right way. Uh, to your point, no fan here either of the U.S. Supreme Court, and they've been horrible on this issue. Uh, but every now and again, uh, we get a victory here, and I'm glad to see that in Florida, uh, we uh, see this judge uh, declaring that these uh, this map uh, is illegal, it's unconstitutional, and it violates uh, the rights of black voters. Now, if we can get some voting rights legislation actually moving in the U.S. Senate, that would be something to celebrate. Just getting started in this first hour, talking politics with a uh, distinguished university professor of political science at Hamline University, David Schultz, who's right now on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Indeed you are, and I'm delighted uh, to have you tuned in today in our first hour. Uh, we were talking just moments ago, in case you've just tuned in, about um, a judge in Florida who has declared illegal uh, these uh, maps, uh, which... Uh, have been found to illegally hurt black voters. That's in the state of Florida. I mentioned Alabama. Let me jump to Alabama now. Same thing has happened there. A panel of federal federal judges, that is, rejected Alabama's latest congressional map, uh, ruling that a new map needed to be drawn because Republican lawmakers had failed to comply with orders to create a second majority black district or something close to it. So here again, um, this is a day of celebration here. (laughs) It doesn't happen often when it comes to the black vote. But in Florida, map ruled illegal. Uh, in Alabama, a federal court strikes down a uh, congressional map. And so th- these are, these are uh, David Schultz, um, these are sharp rebukes to Republicans um, who control many of these state legislatures uh, drawing these maps that uh, disenfranchise and disrespect African 
American voters. It raises questions about the ways into the future as this country becomes more multicultural, multiracial, and multiethnic. Uh, we can find a way to draw maps uh, that don't discriminate against various communities. And uh, some argue that this map drawing ought to be taken completely away uh, from any set of elected officials, Democrat or Republican. Um, you have thoughts on that? Yeah, first, first let me say that you know, what I find interesting here, especially about Alabama, I want to come back to it here, mm-hmm. is that they drew the, is that they drew the first, first map and they had one district, um, we'll call it majority minority, that could potentially, uh, elect an African American. Uh, it goes to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, go back and do it again with an incredibly strong hint that says you better have, um, another district, um, uh, because essentially that, that would be something close to be fair. So what do the Republican legislature do? Totally ignores the Supreme Court at this point um, and, and draws essentially the same map as before. Um, so, you know, so part of me wants to say, you know, what part of the original order did you not understand? But what this shows me is how um, the Supreme Court has created its own problem. A decade ago, it gutted the Voting Rights Act and said, oh, you you know, we don't need some of these provisions like preclearance like that because voting rights for people of color is on par now with, you know, with, with people who are white. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as the Supreme Court did that, what we're starting to see in places like Alabama, Florida, Texas, going back to the, you know, to, to the old ways, going back to the old ways of what they did before. Okay. So, so that's my first point. The mm-hmm. second point I want to sort of get at here is, is that for both the Florida, um, and in Mississippi, as well as in about 40 states across the country, um, there's what we call a trifecta, single-party rule. The Republicans control the governorship and the legislature, both houses, and I think about 20, like 26, 27 states. They're drawing lines at this point um, in ways just to favor themselves, just to, again, to, to jerry-rig the election. Now, for me, you know, I would completely take away from any elected official the ability to draw lines. To me, you know, think about it. If elections are supposed to be, we get to pick pick our elected officials. If we let elected officials draw the lines, what do they do? They're picking their voters. They get to pick who they want to vote for them. Um, and that just ought to be unconstitutional. And I think there ought to be, I don't know whether you're going to call it nonpartisan, bipartisan, or whatever you're going to call it, something like that. There ought to be independent commissions um, that, that draw these lines and do so with out regard to um, you know political considerations um, or racial considerations in a bad way in the way that these legislatures are doing it. Mm. Um, for those who would um, would or could get the sense that this Supreme Court acts in ways at times that are schizophrenic, uh, let me let me politically schizophrenic. Uh, let me unpack that. Um, when you look at what they have done on affirmative action or voting rights and other situations or any number of other issues I could detail if we had the time, uh, you right. see that there is an agenda that one could argue is certainly anti-black, if not anti-black, anti-minority, uh, anti-poor. Right. One can make that argument, and I think it make it credibly, that this right. Supreme Court has behaved in ways that can only be seen as anti-black. And yet, uh, in this case... Um, the Supreme Court did the right thing in Alabama, and now right, federal right. court has uh, has smacked the state legislature, these Republicans uh, in Alabama once again. How, my, my question is, how, how do I read that on some issues they are pushing an agenda, agenda that is clearly antithetical to the best interest of black people, and every now and then in cases like these, they actually do the right thing on voting rights. Is that politically schizophrenic, or am I missing something here? 
I think it's politically schizophrenic, but also on one level, if if they were just completely consistent, completely consistent, and just across the board, always ruled against people of color, always ruled against women, always ruled against poor people. Uh, I mean, whatever shred of of legitimacy or respect or trust they had would would be completely gone. Um, so to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be cynical on this one. You know, um, that these are politicians who wear robes, and every so often they sort of I don't want to quite say they throw a crumb out. They throw a crumb out or something like that, or as or like here. I mean, what Alabama's doing, what Florida is doing. It's just so obviously wrong. Um, and so on those, you know, they can muster five to four majorities. You know, uh, I mean, we're not looking at nine oh majorities. You know, we're not looking mm-hmm. at unanimous courts here. And um, they can squeak by five fours um, and, and gets kind of like a, a small a small victory at this point. Um, but but what they're not doing um, is is consistently, as you said, um, defending, um, let's say, the, the, the rights of the poor, the rights of the oppressed, um, but, but just enough so, so that it doesn't look like they are 100% partisan. Uh, does that make sense? It does. It does. It does. Um, let me pivot now. Speaking of the U.S. Supreme Court, um, there's a great debate that's kicking up right now about whether or not and how the Supreme Court will rule uh, in a case that we know is coming up. Let me just set the stage um, um, for you, and I'll let uh, Professor uh, Schultz, who knows this stuff far better than I do, uh, explain to us what this all means. So there's a great legal debate about whether or not former President Donald Trump should be allowed to even appear on the 2024 ballot, and that question has now made its way before the U.S. Supreme Court. Before I unpack this for you, let me say once again, as I said repeatedly on this program, the U.S. Supreme Court chooses the cases it wants to hear. Keep that in mind. They choose the cases that they want to hear. And they have now chosen to hear a case called John Castro v. Donald Trump. Um, the, uh, uh, the court distributed uh, to the justices for conference on Wednesday ahead of the upcoming term. This particular case, John Castro v. Donald Trump, the new term begins on October 2nd, so they've already made it clear that this is a case they're going to hear in this term. The paperwork, if you will, has already been distributed to the justices to start reading and preparing for a conference um, coming up soon on September 26th. The case uh, expected to be decided on or before October 9. So Castro is a tax attorney running, running for the uh, Republican nomination next year. And he sent his petition to the Supreme Court last month asking the justices to answer whether political candidates can challenge the eligibility of another candidate of the same party running for the same nomination based on a political competitive injury in the form of a diminution of votes. I will now yield to the professor from Hamline to explain what all this means. But uh, here we have a case that could decide, never mind all the indictments, whether or not Donald Trump's name can even appear on the ballot. Professor Schultz, take it away. Sure. So this is an interesting case that a lot of people are talking about, and it also involves some questions regarding the 14th Amendment, you know, which is one of the Civil War amendments, you know, that that um, uh, was adopted to try to empower, um, you know, you know, you know, black people after the Civil War, and and it involves whether or not, in part, 
Donald Trump could be excluded from even appearing on the ballot because um, he engaged in or encouraged some types of some type of insurrection. You're know, getting us back to January 6th, mm-hmm. and and there's and there's language in the 14th Amendment um, which which seems to suggest that. Now, of course, the historical person, purpose of that was to give Congress the ability to keep former Confederates from running for office. You know, people who had served the Confederacy who fought against the Union and so forth like that. And people are arguing that that perhaps um, Donald Trump's efforts to try to suppress the vote constitute, you know, constitute uh, are are as consistent with the language of that part of the 14th Amendment. And therefore, um, this this candidate for the Republican nomination saying I should be able to actually bring a case and challenge um, and question whether or not Donald Trump should even be eligible to uh, um, to run for office or seek the party nomination. Remember, this suit right now is just whether or not this person can bring the suit. Mm-hmm. It's, it won't make a decision regarding whether or not Donald Trump can um, actually appear on the ballot. Um, but it's pretty significant because because if 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 he were to win, you mm-hmm. know, this if, if this, this case, um, he gets to then argue that. Uh, Potentially, you know, with the with the what Donald Trump did on January sixth, other actions that he's done in places like Georgia and so forth, like that, that maybe Donald Trump is just ineligible under the Constitution to be able to run for office again. If John Castro is successful, he could do all of us a favor. <laughs> the Republicans running for nomination would love to see John Castro win this. It gets Trump out of the way, and they didn't have to do it. The Republican Party uh, gets him out of the way, and they didn't have to do it. And those on the left would be happy to see uh, some ruling that suggests that he cannot even be on the ballot. Uh, I hear your point. The distinction you made, this case is about whether or not his case can go forward. This would not ultimately decide this case won't at least whether or not he can be on the ballot, but it is a novel argument. And I'm always fascinated. I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on radio or or television, but I'm always fascinated by the way that um, lawyers can figure out a way to use arcane law or an amendment or another uh, set of laws that was meant for one thing. They can find a particular slice of it and base their argument on that particular slice. As you explain it, I recognize, and the audience does as well, this was not the intended purpose of the 14th Amendment, but if the amendment was designed and written in part to keep former Confederates from running for the presidency of the Union because they had done uh, something uh, to uh, not just destroy the company, but certainly the country, that is, but also they had done something that led to a diminution of, of, of votes, if it can be argued in that instance, it's a novel argument to make in the case of Donald Trump. Why should someone who has clearly been involved in an insurrection trying to overturn an election, why should they be allowed to be on the ballot? That's the argument that John Castro is making. I think it's a legitimate and credible argument. We will see how this Supreme Court uh, uh, decides on the matter. Now, let me come full circle. I said moments ago that the Supreme Court chooses the cases it wants to hear. Can you go out? Can you uh, give me any reason that you think the Supreme Court would want to chose, in fact, to hear this particular case? I think a couple of reasons. One of them might be just simply for the fact that it wants to put the issue to rest no matter what. Maybe it's going to rule and say, no, he can't do this. It's a matter for Congress to do it. And then just and just just takes just takes it off the agenda right now. Mm-hmm. That way that way it's resolved. Um, the other possibility um 
But I don't know at this point. The other possibility is maybe there's enough justices on the court um, um, that have also had it with Donald Trump. I mean, I know that the Chief Justice Roberts um, and, and Trump don't like one another. They don't see eye to eye. Uh, that's, a, that's a possibility, too, because we're looking, what, six Republicans on the court, three Democrats? Um, you know, uh, may, maybe some of those Republicans would team up, team up with the three Democrats um, in terms of saying, let's, let's just, just, let's just put Trump all behind us or something like that um, and get it out of the way. Or still, fleshing out another theory because we're, you know, we're, we're basically trying to read sure. lines here sure, sure. is that if, if they can allow this lawsuit to go forward think about it now trump's got four criminal lawsuit or four criminal trials coming up mm-hmm. i think he's got se- several sexual harassment i think he's got a couple more business cases out there uh, throw one more trial in at this point uh, i mean they're going to just about completely bog bog him down you know between now and next now in november 2024 i don't know maybe maybe that's their thinking or something like that uh, now Okay, I am cynical enough to say that the justices aren't acting politically neutral. Um, they're not just saying, well, let's just read the law. Um, I think there's an agenda here. And, and so what I've been trying to do here is speculate on what that possible agenda is. I'm, cl- I'm, I'm closer to the idea of saying that um, they're going to resolve this and just basically say that um, this person can't bring the suit. But that's just sort of my intuition. I don't know why. Yep. Um, yeah, I know why, because it's a conservative court. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. that's why your intuition yeah. exists, and I, I ain't mad at you. Um, I understand that. Uh, what's fascinating for me is that even if they were to allow his case to go forward, there's no way that that second case would get to a decision uh, that would allow Donald Trump to be taken off the ballot or that, that would uh, lead to his being taken off the ballot in time for this election. The court just doesn't move that swiftly. So my, my, my sense, again, is even if they allow it to go forward, I don't think they will, uh, it wouldn't have the, uh, the impact that many of us uh, would want it to have. Um, Donald Trump has said, and I quote, almost all legal scholars have voiced opinions that the 14th Amendment has no legal basis or standing relative to the upcoming 2024 presidential election. He's writing this on uh, his Truth Social account. I continue uh, quoting Donald Trump, like election interference, it is just another trick being used by the radical left, communist, Marxist and fascist to again steal an election that their candidate, the worst, most incompetent and most corrupt president in U.S. history, is incapable of winning in a free and fair election. Make America great again. I close quote from Donald Trump. It is always funny for me to hear Donald Trump call Joe Biden the worst most incompetent and most corrupt president in U.S. history. If that doesn't give you a laugh for the day and bring some levity to your situation, I don't know what will. We'll continue with David Schultz when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is distinguished professor at the university, uh, university professor at Hamline University, David Schultz, and I uh, am delighted to have him back on our program as we talk politics in this first hour. Don't forget, later in our third hour today, um, some great music artists, Maxwell on the top of our three, and Stephen Marley, uh, son of Bob, on the bottom of our three, so a great uh, two hours in front of us. Uh, a lot of a lot of great music and uh, great conversation in certainly that third hour today. We continue now, though, with um, uh, David Schultz. So, uh, so, David, I was uh, saying to you a moment ago, uh, not saying to you, saying to the audience, in reading that quote 
uh, from Donald Trump, which is a, a bit laughable, calling Joe Biden mm -hmm. uh, the worst president in history and the most corrupt and incompetent president in history. Always funny to hear Donald Trump call somebody else corrupt. Um, but what we do know is that the Republican Party um, uh, certainly has been alleging uh, that uh, President Biden has behaved and acted in corrupt ways uh, connected to his son, Hunter Biden. Um, the calendar reads uh, September 5th, which means that uh, means two things. One, uh, Congress is back in session today. And number two, it's my father's birthday. Happy birthday, Daddy. <laughs> so uh, that's what it means. Congress is back and my dad celebrating another birthday today. Thank God for Jesus. Um, so uh, Congress is back. And we, we heard Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, um, a week or so ago suggest uh, that they might seriously take up this impeachment inquiry once they return to work. He made these comments, as you recall, during the August recess. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. they're back today. They're back to work today. And if we take what he said seriously a couple of weeks ago, that they might move swiftly on these impeachment inquiries, as I've said, and other guests have said, uh, to try to impeach Joe Biden for just being Joe Biden. Um, this thing could get ugly really, really fast if they are serious about these impeachment proceedings. The Biden team is not waiting for impeachment uh, to go on the offensive. The White House has enlisted two dozen lawyers, legislative liaisons and others to craft strategies in the face of Republicans threatening to charge the president with high crimes and misdemeanors. So the Biden White House is taking this seriously enough to already have hired two dozen lawyers and others getting ready for what they expect is going to be um, uh, an attack, an onslaught uh, from the political right vis-a-vis -vis, uh, trying to impeach uh, President Biden. Um, how do you read what Kevin McCarthy said days ago now that they're back? Was he serious? Do you take him seriously? Do you take him at his word? And how do you read the fact that the White House apparently is concerned enough to go on the offense already? No, I, I take McCarthy and the Republicans at their word that they're going to, and I'm going to use the pun here, they're going to trump up some charges against Biden. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, some claim, you know, I mean, we see all this stuff out there on the social media, what, claims that are saying that, what, the Bidens got, like, made millions of dollars, or Joe Biden's made millions of dollars, or misused his position, you know, you know, you know with his son, Hunter Biden, even though there's no investigation um, that's substantiated any of those charges. This is just, you know, this is just the garbage that's out there or something. But they're going to come up with something. They're going to come up with something, um, and they want to impeach him. They want to impeach him. And remember, impeachment just is like being an indictment. They want to get him impeached, um, and, and it's, it's kind of like like a tit for tat at this point. That way, when Trump is running for office in 2024, um, he, they can say that, listen, Biden is now facing an impeachment, um, and therefore he's corrupt, et cetera, et cetera, like that, and then force force the Senate to go through the trial, et cetera, like that. And it's a way to try to distract the the, um, the American public from all of Donald Trump's problems so they can, so they can say, listen, yeah, okay, um, Donald Trump, he's he's maybe facing all these trials, but Joe Biden, he's being impeached. So it's it's a they think it's a smart political strategy as a way of diverting attention or something like that. And I think that's where they're going to go at this point in terms of um, the direction that they're headed. But let's but let me throw one other sure. thing out here, by the way, too, is that I think 
I mean, I mean, there, there's no chance that because uh, it takes two, no chance that the Senate's going to convict him. Sure. It takes two thirds um, to convict. Um, the interesting question will be whether or not the Senate will even take up and hold and hold a trial because there's cause the House can impeach um, uh, and they can send the impeachment orders over to the Senate, but nothing requires the Senate to actually hold a trial. So, so I'm going to be curious to see how the Republican House versus the Democratic-controlled Senate plays all this out. But yeah, the Republicans, I think they're just salivating, salivating at the idea of now they can say, okay, Trump was impeached twice. We're going to get Biden. Uh, uh, it's, it, it's just what it's, it's just, I don't know. It's playing gotcha politics at this point in diversion politics. Let's talk about gotcha politics in just a second here. Um, let me start with this uh, to your point, which is a brilliant point or a brilliant question about whether or not the U.S. Senate would even take this up. If the House successfully impeaches Joe Biden, uh, here's where Democrats uh, need to grow a spine. They need to grow a pair. Um, here's mm-hmm. here's where here's where they they act like Mitch McConnell uh, on the nomination of Merrick Garland. You know exactly where I'm going here, obviously. Yep. Yep. Uh, Mitch yep. McConnell refused to give Merrick Garland a hearing. You ain't even getting a hearing. Uh, and he uh, he gave uh, Mitch McConnell, that is, gave Barack Obama the Heisman, stuck that arm out there and said, not so. There you go. The Heisman. Uh, that's what he gave to Barack Obama. Uh, and he refused to give Merrick Garland a hearing. Uh, you would like to believe that if Republicans are successful here, and we'll come to that in a second, uh, that Democrats would make like Mitch McConnell, steal a page out of a page that is out of his playbook uh, and not even give a hearing to these nonsensical allegations. We shall see. Um, but uh, Professor Schultz raises a powerful question about how Democrats in the Senate, uh, the Democratic controlled Senate, would respond if House Republicans are successful. Now, let me jump back to the House, because if, in fact, they are successful in impeaching him, it uh, doesn't matter what it's for. Uh, but but just if they are able to get on the historic record that mm-hmm. Joe Biden was impeached while president, to your point, they do not have the votes. They don't have any way forward to impeach and remove him from office, but the same is true of Donald Trump. He was impeached, but not removed from office. How does it change the political calculus to the extent it does in this presidential race, assuming that we've got a repeat, a sequel of Trump v. Biden or Biden v. Trump? How does it change the political calculus that we have two uh, combatants for the White House who have both been impeached? Boy, that's a really good question. I'll, I'll, um, I, again, for the Republicans' point of view, it's 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 a diversion strategy so that they can say Biden is corrupt, and it takes the the heat off of. They think it's going to take the heat off of 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 Trump as he's going through all his trials next year. But I'm going to speculate in a different direction at this point. Okay. Um, will, will the Republican House just look like a bunch of idiots doing this? You know, and will it backfire on them? Um, for example, will it look like in the presidential race um, for those for those critical swing voters in the few critical swing states that this the election, will they basically look at it and say, this was just a political ploy and it hurts them there? But I also just think in terms of the fact that um, that the House, as we know, I mean, the Republicans hold a whisker, whisker thin, you know, majority in the House. Um, and and could this be the kind of vote um, that just blows up in their face and costs them the majority, you know, next year? I, I think that's a possibility also, because you know, people may think a lot of things about Joe Biden. You know, he 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 does look old. You know, and, and we'll all can see that he does look old. Um, at times, you sort of wonder if he's up up to the job, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anybody credibly who seriously thinks 
that Joe Biden is corrupt mm-hmm. um, and, and, and incompetent. You may or may not agree with all the stuff that he's doing. He may not be going far enough for what many of us would like to say. But at the end of the day, uh, the American public polls, polls are showing this. The public overwhelmingly thinks Trump is corrupt. Um, and if anything, all the public is saying about Joe Biden is that they're worried about his age because what's he like 80 or 81 years old so so i think there's a real serious sense of where the republicans are playing to their base um their extreme base right it potentially blows up in their face well they are playing with fire and uh, if, if kevin mccarthy doesn't believe it can backfire he should call a guy named newt gingrich and ask him what happened in the clinton years uh when mm-hmm. gingrich played with fire and it backfired on him they ended up losing the House, and he lost his speakership. So to your point, it could backfire. That said, when we come forward, I want to come to the other issue that you raised, uh, and it's simply this. There were those who predicted during the era of Donald Trump that going after him, uh, impeaching him in the way that they did, a couple different impeachment trials, that this would ultimately lead to where we are right now, a tit-for-tat, a downward spiral, uh, America going down the rabbit hole, as it were, because once Republicans got in control again, they were going to do to Joe Biden or whoever the Democratic president was the same thing that had happened to Donald Trump. Uh, and the country is so divided now. Is this a new normal that whatever party is in power uh, from henceforth and forevermore, they will be trying to impeach whoever the sitting president is? We'll talk about that when we come for David Schultz on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley talking to David Schultz, distinguished university professor of political science at Hamline University, uh, talking politics in this hour uh, for a few more minutes at least. Um, so, David, you you teed this up, and I, I want to come right back to it um, okay. because there were there were a number of people. Um, discussing this um, a few years ago during the Trump era, that this is exactly, they were predicting, this is exactly where we'd end up, uh, that the way that Democrats went after Donald Trump, and I'm not suggesting they should not have done that, I'm just raising the issue that you Mm -hmm. raised about Mm -hmm. uh, the state of our body politic right now. So there were those who predicted that uh, the minute Republicans got control of the House or Senate, they would do the same thing to Joe Biden that Joe Biden, uh, that the Democrats rather had done to Donald Trump. And so in that regard, uh, they were right. And here we are going down this rabbit hole. Um, you call it political diversion. Uh, you refer to it uh, essentially as much ado about nothing. Um, but I'm concerned uh, for a variety of reasons. This just being another one I add to the list now about the future stability of this so-called democracy, as I call it, an experiment in democracy. We got a Madisonian, uh-huh. we got a Madisonian framework for democracy, but we ain't quite there yet as I read it. But whatever you yeah. think of my argument about whether this is a democracy or experiment in or a plutocracy or an oligarchy, the point is whatever you call what we have, it is in danger if going forward this becomes the new normal, that whatever party is in power, they find some way to impeach and put on the record that the president uh, was impeached. Um, your read on this? I think you're absolutely right. I was going to start off by saying that when I, te- you know, I, I started up the semester last week teaching, and I'm teaching an American politics class. And when I explain the Constitution, I r- tell my students the one word to understand everything: fear. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, and, and, and we could talk all about how our framers were slaveholders; they were, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing they feared was what power, abuse of power, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and how 
people can become corrupted and get into positions and abuse their authority. And, and the reason why I mention this is because what do we do with a president who especially, let's say, who's already been elected once, doesn't have to face election again, and decides to go crazy and abuse power. And the, and the reason why I say that is that impeachment was supposed to be one of those tools, those tools to, 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 to basically rein in um, a, a corrupt president. But now it's turning into what? Just a, just a party tool. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping most of us, if anybody remembers their history, I'm hoping everybody would agree to say that, um, you know, what Nixon did. Nixon, you know, back, you know, in, in, in the 70s, you know, you know, organizing the break into the Democratic National Headquarters, hiring, or, you know, all these people do all kinds of horrible stuff. He deserved to be impeached. And had it gone all the way, he probably would have been impeached, removed from office. But now, I mean, uh, you've got people like Bill what, what the Republicans went after Bill Clinton mm-hmm. on, 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 on trumped-up charges, et cetera, et cetera. We're at a point right now where you're right. I'm, I'm afraid that 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 our institutions, which were meant to supposedly supposedly protect we the people to be a democracy for all of us, um, uh, address the problems of, of fear, abuse of power, it's now become what? Yeah. The institutions are being used by especially the Republicans right now um, as a tool just to further a very narrow agenda. And and that's just not good for our society, for our, our country, no matter what. And, and I wish, I wish, I wish I knew how to, how to like wave a magic wand and end all this. Yep. Um, I wish I did too, but um, that, that, that ain't, uh, that ain't going to happen. Um, it is uh, impeachment. That is, is now a political tool. Um, there were those who predicted we'd end up in this space and here we are. Uh, whatever party is not in power, uh, now wants to find a way to impeach uh, the sitting president. I digress for the moment. Our remaining moments with David Schultz when we come forward on Tavis Smile. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Our remaining moments with David Schultz author and distinguished university professor of political science at Hamline University. Just a few minutes left, literally three minutes left in this uh, conversation, Professor Schultz. Let me close with this. Um, we see a strategy starting to uh, take hold here. Um, many of Donald Trump's co-defendants are starting now to turn against him. And so there is a move afoot that we see uh, in a number of documents that are being filed uh, to start uh, pointing the finger at Donald Trump. In other words, you portray yourself as a hapless pawn of the of the powerful president, Donald Trump. And you had no option. You had no choice. You did what you were told to do. And so you were just a pawn uh, on the board. uh, And Donald Trump was the kingmaker. We're starting to see uh, that narrative play itself out. Two questions right quick. One, what do you make of that narrative? Number one. And number two, how dangerous, uh, how much more choppy do these uh, uh, political and legal waters get for Donald Trump if many of these co-defendants start singing like a chorus? Well, first off, the first thing about them saying it's all Donald Trump um, is what? This is what we call the Nuremberg defense. Remember all these Nazis who were put on trial after World War II? They said, I had no control. I, I had no responsibility for sending you know, all these people off to the concentration camps. Don't blame me. It was it's Hitler. Mm. And the response that came back was to say, no, you're responsible. You're, you make your own choices in life. Um, having said that, um, 
all the elements are here in place for what? Um, for all these people to start to what? Basically, cop deals at this point. People like Giuliani and like that. What's Giuliani like? Like seventy something, eighty years old? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to spend the rest of his life in jail or something like that. So I'm expecting to see some of these people um, cop pleas, which is traditional. What happens with prosecutors? Um, because the prosecutors want, they, you know, they don't want the low level people. They they want the they want they want the top person like this one. So I think Donald Trump is going to start to face some potentially really interesting problems here if he starts to get people like Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Eastman, or, or, or even maybe some of the not-so-high-profile not ones that say, what do you want to know, in prosecutor, in return, what's the deal? Mm. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, uh, how we keep up with all these trials, I do not know. Um, you're going to need a split screen to keep up <laughs> with, <laughs> with with four trials at once. And, of course, I'm being facetious. There will not be four trials at once. Uh, but uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some effort uh, to, to t- stay on top of all the issues that Donald Trump is navigating his way through. Uh, we shall see. But these defendants are starting to sing like Aretha Franklin. And so we will see what that uh, means in the end for one Donald J. Trump. For now, we thank David Schultz, author and distinguished university professor of political science at Hamline University uh, for talking politics with, uh, politics with us, I should say, in this hour. Professor Schultz, good to have you on. We'll do it again, sir. All the best to you. My pleasure. Thanks.